interesting. You know what really got me interested in investing was going broke during the recession. <laughs> um, you know, when you're, you know, I always tell people, you know, I, I, I kept digging a hole deeper and deeper after the recession, and I finally figured out that I had to throw the shovel out of the hole and, you know, quit digging. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Hey everyone, real quick before we start the show, Brad wrote an amazing ebook that will teach you everything you need to know about house hacking and living rent free. To get a free copy, text house hack all one word to 22828. That's house hack all one word to 22828 to get your free copy. Welcome to the show, Mark. Uh, we're glad to have you on here. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing all your wisdom. Thanks, Drew. I appreciate that. So could you tell us a little bit about your background uh, in life and also as a contractor and how that helped you lead towards investing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I grew up in a small town for the most part. I live in a large town now, but grew up in a small town, uh, mountain community in uh, Southern California and grew up doing construction. You know, I, I started working with my dad at, at the age of 12 probably before that, but that's when I started going to work on a daily basis and doing construction. So, you know, I kind of grew up with it and moved to uh, the warmer parts of Southern California when I was in high school and continued construction and uh, didn't, wasn't a great student, uh, didn't make it past my first year of college. Um, it was difficult for me to concentrate on things. And so I, like a lot of people, like a lot of people. And, and probably that's an excuse because I don't like it when my kids use that excuse. But um, I started framing houses and that's pretty much what I've done. Some sort of some form of construction until, you know, up and well, I still do. So that's 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 my background. Uh, and then I started uh, investing in real estate about nine years ago after the crash. So, OK, cool. And that uh, being a contractor, do you think that really helped you to get interested and get involved in investing? Uh, well, yeah, I don't know that it got me interested in investing. A uh, good question. I not really got me interested in investing. You know, what really got me interested in investing was going broke during the recession. <laughs> um, you know, when you're, you know, I always tell people, you know, I, I, I kept digging a hole deeper and deeper after the recession. And I finally figured out that I had to throw the shovel out of the hole and, you know, quit digging. And the interesting thing is, is I never thought about real estate investing before that. I'd bought a lot of houses, but never thought of it as an investment. It was just more of a place to live. Never, mm -hmm. never kept anything. And I didn't have anything going on at the time. Obviously, I was basically jobless uh, shortly after the recession. And we started repoing houses for the bank, which was a really interesting occupation. We did repos and then we did the cleanouts. It's called property preservation. And I started seeing people buying these houses and I wasn't quite sure why they were because they were really crappy houses in crappy parts of town. And it didn't really ever sink in. Why would any, I, my, I kept questioning, why would they do that? And I started asking around and most people said, well, those are investors. They're buying them to either hold them or fix them up and sell them. And I said, well, that, that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> so I kind of started looking into that but it took me three or four years before i figured it out it, it out it was it took a while so 
Cool. So uh, your first rental was a house hack, correct? It was. It was a it was a forced purchase. I purchased. It was a flip. We were doing in. You've heard of Compton, California? Mm-hmm. Everybody's heard of Compton. Yeah, of course. Um, so when we first started, we really couldn't afford to buy in the areas that we live in or any areas for that matter. And and nobody wanted stuff in Compton. And we had been doing uh, repos in Compton. Scary. And uh, uh, ended up getting one that was a uh, REO, which is uh, real estate owned. For those of you out there, it's a, you know, basically a foreclosure. And we got it for a real good price because it was in a scary part of town and it was a scary house. But someone had built a room behind the garage and I am not, not advocating this by any stretch guys, but if it were to happen and you were able to do it, that's how we hacked the crap out of this house. We, it, it was a semi conversion. And so we, we used that as a rental for a while. And then the house was also a rental. So we were able to increase our cash flow by doing that. Um, so we basically had two rentals on one property. And again, I'm not advocating that, but it's how we got started, I have to admit. And we ended up, it was a forced purchase, as I said. We we had a partner on it, which um, you know kind of makes me squeamish, but we had a partner on it. He owed some tax debt. The IRS called me and said, hey, look, we're going to take the house. And I went, ooh. And it took me about a year to wind my way through that because it was our money into it. And we finally ended up making a deal with the IRS. But during that time, we had to rent it out. You know, remember, this was a flip and we had to rent it out. So we were making cash flow at that point. And we thought, wow, I guess we we should keep it. So that's that's how that happened. Very cool. So so you had a partner. Uh, did you partner up and pay cash? How did you finance that property? We we have uh, access to money. We we do uh, uh, private money for 95% of our purchases. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. So he brought the deal. Uh, he didn't really bring it. It's, it's complicated more than, more than, more than, more than we need to go into for the show. But um, he, he didn't bring the deal. He didn't bring the money. He brought the ability to buy the house, which was through a nonprofit, um, which was something that was really big back then. And, and, and that was his part of the deal. Unfortunately, his nonprofit wasn't paying payroll taxes. So, um, even though we paid for it and everything else. So lesson, be really careful, super, super careful who you do business with. And generally speaking, it's not a good idea. Just remember that because every time I've been whooped in the butt in this business, it's been because of another person I'm doing business with that didn't end up being who they said they were. And I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Seriously, I've written checks out of my checking account to cover losses to my investors because of people that were unscrupulous or didn't know what they were doing. So I will I will adamantly tell you, be very, very careful who you do business with. And it doesn't matter if they say they're who they are or, or they get, have great referrals, you need to do some background checks on them. Makes sense. Yeah. So, right. so is there a screening process that you would suggest for partners? Private investigator, spend a few hundred bucks, hire a private yeah. investigator. Yep. It's, it's okay. not that expensive and it's uh, it well worth your money. And it's a lot cheaper than a hundred grand. 
It's a lot cheaper than 200 grand. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. uh, I, I know you've done a lot of 1031 exchanges. Um, could you tell me about how you ended up trading a property up to a 12 unit that was now worth, what, 1.4 million? Uh, yeah, that one's probably worth, yeah, 1.4 right now. Um, that was, you know, if it was here in my neighborhood, it would be worth quite a lot more, but it's in Sacramento. So uh, we'll get into that in a minute. You know, we've got some cash flow questions. Um, so that was the Compton property uh, that we had. We kept that for several years and ended up, we bought it very inexpensively because it was in really bad shape. And, you know, I brought my crew in, we fixed it up, rented it out. And uh, after about four or five years, prices had gone up a lot. And we already had, we already had double the month. We already had double equity in that property by the time we got done with the rehab. Um, so it was, it was an amazing, one of those amazing purchases that amazing. if you look hard enough, well, you still find them. They're still out there. They're still out there. Maybe not that good, but they're still out there. Um, it's one of those things where we said, okay, normally we don't sell properties. And this one was super, super uh, profitable for us. But I heard about a property up in Sacramento that someone owned that was semi-abandoned and it was a 12 unit. So I said, well, let's, let's sell something. We sold this one very quickly. And we took the money from that 1031 did into this property and that property, once we did the rehab on it and tenanted it, it was empty except for two, two units, uh, needed a complete rehab and roof and all the whole nine yards. And so we just did a value add on that one. And that one's a keeper, you know, that one cash flows quite nicely now. So yeah, I'd imagine we bought, we've bought three other apartment complexes on that street in Sacramento since then. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, can you, can you explain like how a 1031 works and what new investors should know about the process and how they could use it to their advantage? Yeah. Let's do the simple explanation because it's not that complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you have a property, uh, and you sell it and there's a gain, like you bought it for a hundred and you're selling it for 200, let's not get complicated and talk about how much money you put into it. Let's just keep it simple. You buy it for a hundred you sell it for 200, your gain is $100,000. So the IRS calls that capital gains. And you're going to pay somewhere in the vicinity of 30% plus or minus on that gain. Now, if you want to avoid paying that gain, you do what we call a 1031 exchange. And what that is, is um, an exchange for a like-kind property. In other words, you have a residential property, it's going to go into a residential property. And so you'll take the money, the gain, and you'll buy another property. You have time stipulations on when you have to do it and how quickly you have to do it. You can't do it three years later. Um, I'm not going to go into that either because then we'll, it's a 1031 exchange. That's a whole podcast. Um, but anyway, you take your profits and put it into another property. And as long as you put it into another property, you don't pay the gain. Now, the, the caveat there is that if you ever sell, if you, you can 1031 exchange all the way up to a thousand unit apartment complex, you can keep growing and growing and growing and taking your profits and putting it from property to property to property. However, if you do that and you decide to sell that property when you get older, you will be liable for all the gains that you had previously. So it's not, a, it's not an escape hatch. It's just a, uh, you know, you're just putting off the gain till later. But if you never sell the property or you keep 
exchanging it, then you never, you'll never pay it. Your heirs will have to deal with it, but that's not your problem. You'll be dead. <laughs> right. And it's, it's a great way to move up and simple. get bigger properties. Oh yeah. That's, it's the best way. It's the only way. So, um, yeah, I'm not a big proponent of selling properties, but if you can exchange to something better that makes more sense, then do it. Yes. Awesome. So, uh, like you said earlier, uh, you, you have private money, uh, you work yes. with private lenders. Yes. Uh, how, how could someone find a private lender that they would want to work with? What, what kind of strategies would be involved there? Well, you can use my strategy. <laughs> uh, so we have two ways that we do it. My, my wife is Japanese. And so we picked the absolute hardest way to do it when we started. We used her ability to speak Japanese to bring invest, investing over to Japan. And when we did that, she became semi-famous in Japan as a United States real estate investor. She ended up publishing a couple books and became kind of a big old, big old deal over there. And so we got investors that way, which was, which was very cool. But, but that's not reality for most people. But the first, mm -hmm. first piece of advice I would give you is if you are in any sort of ethnic group, take advantage of it. If you're a Spanish speaker, if you speak French, if you are black, white, I don't care. It doesn't matter. People tend to gravitate towards each other and trust each other. You can build a community and do it that way. I've seen it happen over and over and over. Um, for, for me, it was simply talking to people. And the way you do that is you don't say, hey, look, I'm flipping houses or I'm buying properties to rent out. Do you want to invest with me? Everybody's going to say no. No. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You tell them in a story about what you're doing and you leave it open-ended. So an example would be, hey, Drew, how's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So, you know, I can't even tell you how excited it is or I'm, I am right now. It was so cool. I sold a house yesterday. You know, I, you know, I flip houses. So I sold a house yesterday and I had another one today. It was so cool. We had this guy come up and he was a homeless guy and we ended up giving him some money and helping him out. And oh yeah, it was in uh, Costa Mesa, which is, you know, the city I live in. And we ended up giving him some money and it turns out he used to actually be a construction worker. So we actually put him to work and it was, it was one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me. Um, so one of our investors came by and he had to pick up his interest check and it was really cool too, because I'm telling you being able to do that for one of my friends is so cool, but you know, especially if they've got a little bit of money that they want to invest. So the, the, the return's great. So did you guys watch the football game last night? Was yeah, it? Crazy? Absolutely. It was great. So, okay. That was just the story off the cuff guys. I didn't, I didn't really think that one through very well but the idea is you have to tell people what you do you have to let them mm -hmm. know that you're an investor that you have investors let them know you're a good guy and then leave it alone move on because they'll get the idea that you're trying to tell them that you want them to invest but you want them to ask you so if you do that often enough and make it interesting everybody wants to hear about flipping everybody wants to hear about investing it's like being an entrepreneur right now. So 
that's one of those things that that it's easy to start the conversation, but you've got to end it fairly quickly. Otherwise, they're going to think you're trying to get them to invest, which you yeah, are. absolutely, which so, you are. You're just planting the seed through conversation, like like your example, and that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So cool. give it a shot. Give it a shot. Practice. You got to practice. But. Cool. So, uh, what other financing advice would you give to newbies? Sorry, my answers are so long. Oh, no, I love it. <laughs> it's great. If you watch my videos, I rattle on. Um, best advice I can give you guys, um, especially someone your age, start off the right way. And if you haven't, fix it. So there's something I say to people that that will chap some people's hides. It'll It'll offend them. But you don't deserve to be an investor yet until you've gotten your house in order. And even then you need to be humble and remember that this is a long journey. And what I mean by you don't deserve it is you, if you haven't got your house in order, so I, I actually know people that go out and borrow money, but they still owe a shit. They still owe a lot of money to other people. Um, do you mind if I curse? Not at all. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Let loose. <laughs> uh, it, it pops out. Sorry. Um, and and I'm really almost offended by that because it goes against everything I believe. I don't believe people that are high, really deep in debt should be investing, okay, because they do not have the correct mindset for it yet. I believe you should get your house in order. And by doing that, I mean get your credit cleaned up. Get it cleaned up. Get it plus 700. None of this 650 garbage, okay? You guys are going to go get loans that, you know, if you're lucky, you can get an FHA loan, move in, use the Burr method. We'll get into that in a second. Um, make sure your bills are paid off. Don't have a ton of debt. Run lean and mean. Learn how to budget. You know, as I said, get your house in order. I've got several videos about that, and you know they're all on there. And I'm 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 I'm, I'm really adamant about this more than anything else. Because once you do that, you have this sense of accomplishment, and you have the right mindset that you need to start investing. Because investing is is kind of scary for the first three or four years, especially when you're young. Um, you know, I always say the first house you buy is terrifying. The second one is scary. The third one feels uncomfortable. The fourth one, you you question yourself, and around the fifth one, it starts to feel about right. So, you know, you're you've got to get straight first. You got to have other things. You don't you don't want to have to worry about your finances on top of everything else. So that's the best advice I can give. And have a job. Have a job that pays well. You know, most investors have jobs. They're not just mm -hmm. investors. And if they are, they're guys like me that are on online all the time. Um, and sometimes they aren't really investors. Sometimes they're just talkers. So have a job, do well at your job, and don't plan on quitting. Cool. I love that advice. And, and the point that you make that get your house in order before you really start investing. I mean, that makes so much sense, too, because you don't want any maybe bad habits that you have with your finance to trickle over into the investing because that could affect it in a negative way. So that's, 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 that's an excellent point. That's a really good point. I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Thank you. Cause I'm going to use that now. Um, <laughs> Great. It, yeah, it definitely can trickle over. I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, you're just, your mindset trickles over and yeah, it, it screws the whole thing up. So Absolutely. Why is it so important to secure financing for the long term? Um, because you never know when a deal is going to come up and you need to establish a trusted. So 
private money and bridge money and hard money, it, that's a gateway drug, guys. That's a gateway drug. What you really want, the be-all, end-all of investing, whether you're flipping, whether you're doing the Burr method, whether you're lending money, no matter what you're doing, selling property, and I'm going to go to that, my favorite kind of job for an investor eventually is going to be a real estate agent, but I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But the be-all, end-all of this business is to what? Own property, right? So in order to secure property and have long-term financing, you have to have good credit. You have to have money coming in. So that is the long-term financing. That's the, what was your question again? Yeah, long-term financing. Is that correct? Yeah, secure financing for the long-term. Secure, yeah. You need to have relationships with real lenders. And real lenders, I mean financial institutions. And if you're living in a small town, it's much, much easier. Much easier. Because you can have a relationship with a couple of your smaller town banks. And I'm talking about cities that are, you know, Two to 400,000 people. That's a small town to me. Um, you can go to local banks and get financing. You can start a relationship and be able to finance things and, and get multiple loans from those people. So work on financing. You know, if, you, if you're doing hard money and private money on everything, you're paying a higher percentage rate. You need to get that down. You need to get it to the point where you've got long-term financing on your property so you can worry about other properties. Once you've got that buttoned up and the cash flow is coming in, you can move on. Uh, you know, we spent the first, you know, eight years, seven years of our career in, in investing with all private money on all of our rentals. And it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a, it's a bookkeeping nightmare. So yeah, that's my advice. Absolutely. So someone starting out, you would suggest go to a local bank, establish that relationship early on. Correct. And then they can build that throughout the years. Absolutely. They're not going to give you a loan right away, but you're going to keep bringing deals to them and you're going to establish that relationship. You're going to open an account. You're going to let them know what you're doing. You're going to show them, get the relationships going and, and cool. go, go to a couple of banks. You don't have to just go to one, you know, talk, go talk and meet people. Yeah, of course. Become known. I like it. So you flipped a lot of properties, including mobile homes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about flipping and that side of the real estate world? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to start, but I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of, of flipping and I have done literally, you know, hundreds. Um, I like it. Um, but there's better money out there with less risk guys. The reason most people flip is because they watch TV, right? HGTV. Yeah, I think we can all yeah. agree with that. Or they know somebody that flipped a house and made 60 grand. You know, that's the biggest reason. But most people are ill-prepared to flip and, and fail miserably. And there's really no reason for it. My opinion is ease into that slowly. Get to know your market. You know, Again, the be-all, end-all is owning real estate. It's not flipping real estate. Flipping real estate is the, it's the cherry on top of, of, of the ice cream sundae. And, but the ice cream is owning real estate. So flipping is great. I, I've made a lot of money with it, and I've lost money with it. Um, keep, keep it. Keep it down on entry-level homes. Don't, don't do high-end homes. I've done that. <laughs> I can tell you a lot of things not to do um, from experience. So, 
you know, that's uh, but a flipping could be a whole nother, you know, deal too. So, yeah, so, absolutely. So cool. Um, so how do you identify the markets that you want to work in? I, I, over the years have decided that, that I want cash flow areas that also appreciate. And then I want areas that appreciate. So we've been all over the United States. We had a, a, a pretty big presence in Memphis, Tennessee for a while. And, and, um, that was an interesting, it was an interesting journey there and back. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a big proponent of cash flow, but you're 27. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So when you, when you start, and I'm not saying invest in the stock market, but when you start investing in the stock market, they generally give advice to younger people like yourself. You know, you should be in a lot more aggressive funds right now because if something happens, you've got the time to make up for it. But if it's good, you're going to kill it, right? Yeah, of course. So, and so the same could be said about real estate, in my opinion. So my advice to most people in the age range, I'm 56 and I'm still doing a lot of appreciation-based real estate, um, is find a market where you've got appreciation and you can afford to buy. Um, rather than buy 500 houses in a non-appreciating uh, market. You want a mixture of both. So I pick Sacramento, and please don't contact me if I sell houses in Sacramento, I do not. I did it one time, but I don't anymore. I used to actually sell turnkey there. Uh, but the prices have gone up enough to where it's too hard for me to make money on that. However, I still purchase there when I see a good deal. But find your own area fairly close to home that you can find for your for your um, uh, stuff that 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 cash flows and also appreciates if you can if you're in an area if you're in mm -hmm. I don't know, Des Moines Iowa I, I don't know that market I'm just picking out of, out of the blue and you're not in a highly appreciating market then you're going to have to buy more houses because uh, I'm also a proponent of keeping it close to home so uh, I'm sorry that's not a great answer. Um, for which one do I do? I do a little bit of both. Okay. Uh, could you speak on why the appreciation is so important? Um, because that's where your wealth is. Um, cash flow is monthly income, and that's super important. Your job is monthly income. And um, but let's we'll break that down in just a second too. But 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 the ability to be able to buy more property. So if you've got to go out and get financing every time you buy a property, that, that kind of sucks. However, if you can, you know, if you have a property, let's say you buy it for a hundred, you've been renting it out for 10 years. Now it's worth 500. Um, you have the ability to take money out of that and still cash flow and buy another, put, put a, a decent sized down payment on another property. And now you've got really no, no money out of pocket. You paid $100,000 for the original house, which you may have put $10,000 down for. And you can have millions and millions of dollars in real estate over a period of years from that original $10,000 out-of-pocket expense, which if you're smart, you got back when you refinanced on your first project. So really, when people talk about buying mon uh, real estate with no money, that's kind of what they're talking about because you have to have an initial you know, um, stake in the game. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. And then leverage everything out, right? To a certain extent, be very careful. Don't want to over leverage? Be very careful. But yes, okay. don't over leverage. Okay. So just like a, I just want to throw out like a scenario. Sure. Um, 
say I'm looking at two properties and I decided that one market is going to appreciate and the other isn't, but the one that isn't is going to cash flow more. Mm-hmm. How would you make your decision on that? Would you take the appreciation and a little less cash flow, or would you take the higher cash flow? Are these two? Are these two? Uh, are these two places close to each other? Uh, let's say they're in the same city, but different side of town. town versus another part of town, or yeah, yeah, we'll go okay. with that. I do both. I do both. I do both. Um, I would probably eventually start shifting the money over to the appreciation side though over time um this is just me Uh, a lot of people would rather have a lot of inexpensive rentals as i get older i would rather have a lot of higher cash flowing properties that aren't scary you know like i'm not going to go out and buy four thousand square foot homes to rent out i'm just talking about having places i'm 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 real big on class C properties. If you know what a class C property is, yeah. um, that would be blue collar type workers in, in towns that, that, that actually appreciate, you know, there's, there's little pockets where I live. Average price of a house here is almost $700,000, even in areas where the, the, the median income may be, you know, 80 grand a year. You know, so it's 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 not attainable for the people that live there unless they've owned it for a long time. So I I'm 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 big on having those kinds of properties because they rent out for more and people want to be close to work. Plus, you're going to be worth a crap load of money later on. And having wealth is a wonderful thing when you put your head down on the pillow at night. It, it truly is. It truly is. Oh, yeah. Helps you sleep at night. It does a little bit. Yeah. I still don't sleep a lot, but yes, it does. (laughs) That's good. Uh, So what are some of the tricks when dealing with multifamily properties that you have? Mm, There's really no tricks. It's just keep an eye on things. Um, A couple of rules I have for, for multifamily is I try to keep them single story if I can. I don't currently own any two story single family. So I'm not a real big fan of having tenants above tenants. Um, Water leaks can turn into, you know, you're you're destroying two apartments instead of one. A lot of issues with noise. Um, there's just a lot of things that, that go on with that. Uh, trees, not a big not a big fan of trees on property. I try to keep those trimmed down or remove them. And I know it's not green. I understand, but there's so much liability with trees. Um, so I'm really careful with that. If I buy a property, I make sure and trim them a lot, trim them often or remove a a majority of them. Um, what what else did I write? Oh, laundry is a great source of money. There's a lot of vendors out there that will lease you machines and you collect the money. That's what I do and, you know, do with it what you want, but it's, it's also a reason to go to the property if it's nearby. I, I'm a proponent of you managing your own units until you get to about 10. And then it's probably not a bad idea to start farming out some of, some of it, but you really should learn the good, the bad, and the ugly of management so that you can manage your manager. So they don't try to, you know, pull the wool over your eyes. Um, oh, uh, storage facilities. You can build storage facilities also. Um, okay. that would out for 50 or $60 okay. a month at the back of the property. Cause a lot of apartments don't have garages or, or storage 
And that's, that's a, a lot of people like that, but canvas, you know, you know, send out a questionnaire to your tenants first before you spend $10,000 building a storage shed in the back with five doors or 10 doors um, and find out if anybody's going to commit to it and get a commitment mm -hmm. and then put it in when you say you're going to put it in. Okay, cool. Yeah. I actually, uh, the point on the trees, I had a, I guess, bad experience with the trees. Uh, I had termites in a couple of trees, cost a couple grand to get them cut down. It's yeah. in the middle of the city, you know, really small lot. They had to bring in the big trucks and all that. And uh, kid you not, like a week after I got them cut down, this massive storm comes through, super windy. Um, there was a tornado not too far down the road. And like those trees when I stood a chance. So I'm glad I got them cut down when I did. Yeah. But, uh, I've heard of deaths. I've heard, I mean, obviously we've had houses that have been smashed and it's, it's, it's scary. It's a scare. Trees are scary. They do, they damage, they get under the shingles of the house. They, they're a mess. They have to be watered, um, you know, all kinds of stuff, but yeah, good. That's a good point. Yeah. And then, uh, also on the point of storage units, I, my property has a separated garage and it's a two stall garage that's split. So I'm actually able, because it's a separated garage, to rent out one of those lots for $50 a month. Too. Okay. And, and it wasn't in the best shape when I got it. And mm -hmm. I had to redo the wall. I just put up some OSB board and made it look real clean and all that. Because, you know, it's just a garage. And, yeah. you know, that was like five hours of work to make an extra $600 a year. Forever. 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 Perpetuity. You know, that's see, that's brilliant. You're doing these little hacks. Um, you know, it's, it's probably the best thing you can do because it teaches you a sense of frugality that most people don't have. And it's not even frugality. It's almost like a entrepreneurship. You know, I'm thinking about how to improve my business. You know, like if, if an ice cream shop, you know, can get more customers in and, and, and increase their flavors, three flavors and bring more people in, that's being an entrepreneur, you know, it's figuring out what the people want. And then you're doing the same thing, right? So that's that's, that's brilliant. And and you know that six hundred dollars a month. Okay, now you've got ten buildings like that. You know now it's six thousand dollars. I mean six hundred dollars a year. Now it's six thousand a year. And you know that's a nice vacation to one of my condos in Hawaii. Okay, I mean it's it's a small impact to start, but that builds yeah. and yeah, yeah, it's, it's a long term game, like you've been yeah. saying. Yeah, it's it's the mindset. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, if you had to start all over again, what would you tell your younger self? I wrote something or, down. Or what would you do differently, I guess, if you had to start all over again? I, I, would, uh, I would spend a lot less time with my friends that party and are out having a good time because it wasn't that much fun in retrospect. Uh, we said we were having a good time, but we were always broke and we were living paycheck to paycheck stupidly until I was about your age. And thankfully I would got married and had a kid at that point. And, uh, uh, that, that slowed that down. But if I would have had somebody that would have come along and said, Mark, listen, here's the deal. You're making money. You're living like an idiot. Save half of what you're making, put a down payment on uh, uh, the biggest house you can rent out every single room, convert the garage, live in the corner of the garage, and, you know, do this would have been early years house hacking. You know, mm -hmm. do whatever you can to 
establish an investment pattern in your life and a sense of, and I don't use the term frugality loosely because I think being frugal is silly. You have to enjoy life, but watch what you spend, you know, make it enjoyable, you know, mm-hmm. buy this can of peas or should I buy this can of peas? Which one, you know, I'm saving 30 cents here. It's nothing in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, but the mentality that we keep talking about is super important. So if I had to say it to myself all over again, it's, it's number one, start investing. You know, I didn't start investing until I was 47. I was 47 years old. So imagine if I had started when I was 21, I bought a duplex. I've got a friend that started when he was 21. He's a little bit younger than me by two or three years. And he now owns hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate. And it's just from that first house he bought that he hacked in college. He rented it out to college room, college, other college guys. And he just kept going and going and going and going. And now he owns massive properties all over the United States. That's amazing. It is. It is. That's so cool. And it, it, just like you were saying, like, you know, you can still spend some money on yourself. And then if you're house hacking, that frees up so much expenses because housing is so expensive. And that gives you a lot of extra money to reinvest mm-hmm. and also, you know, spend money on the things that are important to you. Yeah. And you can do both. Yeah. Yeah. And no, still enjoy I, life. You know, travel, camp, figure out things that don't cost that much. You know, right. buying a tent and some sleeping bags and a camp stove, pretty cheap. But if you want to go to Hawaii, figure out a way to do it. Do it on. Do it for the least amount of money you can. Enjoy life, but be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and that'll carry on as you get older too. By the way, and you'll keep doing that, so you'll be able to invest more and more as time goes on, and you'll be perfectly happy. Of course, yeah. Great advice. I love it. There seems to always be a quest for more in this industry. How much is enough? <laughs> <laughs> The longer you do it, the more you realize it's it's more the you get this you know we were talking earlier about when your when your head hits the pillow at night, how does it make you feel? How do you feel? So that sense of calm, that sense of security that you get from from owning multiple properties. So I think once you hit like twenty units, whether it's apartments or houses or whatever, you start getting a little bit of continuity with your cash flow. Um, and the next, the next stage is when you hit about 40 and that's when it becomes really, really regular, um, where, you know, as no matter what happens, unless, unless you have a major occurrence, like I had a major occurrence in Hawaii that, that severely restricted my cash flow and, and still is right now, but I'll, I'll be through it in about a year, but so it's no big deal. And something catastrophic may happen every once in a while, but the more, property you own with the least amount of debt that you can handle, the more, the more you're able to count on that money coming in. And as you get older, that becomes more important because as you wind down your, your, your life, not your life, but your working life, uh, that becomes more important. You want that consistent cash flow. You know, if you're used to having between 10 and $15,000 a month coming in, you know, that's great. Right. Or, 20 and 30 or 40 and 50 or where, whatever your goal is, but it's going to be wherever your comfort level is. There is no, there's no comfort level that fits everybody. You know, for me, my comfort level keeps going up. I don't spend a lot more money, but my comfort level keeps going up. And I think that's mostly because I enjoy what I do. Um, you know, so 
So now I've got this lofty goal of $100,000 a month. And, you know, I can reach it, but I'm probably still only going to spend ten or $12,000 a month. There's no reason for it, but it, it'll give me a sense of comfort that, that my brain needs to sleep at night. So it's, it's wherever you want to be. Some people it's a thousand dollars a month. Some people it's 2000, some people it's 10. Um, but you'll probably find that as you go along in this journey, more is better. Uh, it helps you absorb, it helps you absorb the, 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 the speed bumps that you hit and, and you know, cause shit happens. So. Absolutely. Great advice. Cool. So what are your, uh, long-term plans? Well, I like fishing. Um, I like spending time in Hawaii. We have a, we've, we've been lucky enough and we've done well enough that we have a second home there. And, uh, um, but really the funny thing is that I find in life is like kids sporting events, uh, hanging out with friends. A lot of what I do doesn't require much money. It's, it's maybe 10% of my life requires, you know, a lot of money, you know, traveling to Europe and things like that. But 90% of my life doesn't require much. So my long-term goals really are just to kind of keep doing what I'm doing. I don't have any goal of slowing down. I'll probably eventually get to the point where all I do is buy property, but we still flip. Um, we still wholesale. I'm a full-time real estate agent. And I think being a real estate agent is a great way. It's a good segue when you can afford to do it because it takes you a while to get off the ground. Don't expect to make money right away. Um, you might get a couple of, you know, mom and dad sales, but you know, it's, it's something to think about very seriously before you take that leap. But being in the real estate market locally will really help you find deals. And it also is a nice paycheck if you can actually go out and hustle. You know, it's going to require 50 hours a week minimum of hard work. But, you know, think about a commission on a $250,000 house. You know, you're talking, you know, a few thousand dollars. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, probably you're, you're an IT guy. You may make way more than that. But being in real estate puts you in, uh, in view of more details. You know, you, people bring you things. You see things. You're driving around. So it's a great, it's a great way to, to be involved in the, in the, in the business. Uh, and again, that's, that's what I do. I specialize in like, I call it one to four units. So single family homes and two to two to four units, which are all FHA VA, you know, financeable for first time buyers. So that's kind of my, my shtick. But while I'm out there, I've also got people out there looking for properties for me. And sometimes we'll mm -hmm. put them on contract and wholesale them. Sometimes we buy them for rentals. Anyway, that's, so that's my future, but it's going to slow down to the point where I probably I'll keep my office open, but I won't go in as much. Be out fishing more, right? Maybe you're just looking for deals. <laughs> it, there you go. Fishing for deals, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It sounds like uh, being an agent gives you a big advantage into the investing world. It, it gives you a lot of credibility too, by the way. Yeah. Cause you know, it, it, if I can expound on that just slightly, you know, knowing a lot about contracts is super important when you're buying property, you know, knowing the dates that you have and, and how you can extend them and um, the things that you've got for inspection periods and loan contingencies and all those things that go along with it. You really have to know the rules and 
as an investor, you better know because the other side does. You know, they they know what they've got going to their advantage on a contract. You should know what's going on your side too. And I won't speak of contracts because they're they vary from state to state. And I'm not going to put myself in that position. But it's it's an awesome thing to know. If you can take a real estate class, give yourself knowledge, guys. Give yourself knowledge. You know. Um, no, it's just super important to know your contracts. So becoming a real estate agent really helps with that. Uh, if you're not going to be a real estate agent, know your contracts. Know the ins and outs of a contract. Dead. Super important. So what books would you recommend to a young investor? Ah, good question. Uh, I read a lot in the beginning. And I'm going to give you guys a couple of books that changed my mindset. However, I don't agree with the principles. But they were mindset changers. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read that and a switch went off in my head and I was an investor after I got done with that book. But, however, um, a lot of fantasy in there, a lot of uh, lack of reality. The, the concept of the book is good. You know, you, you don't want to make money for other people. You want to make money for yourself. However, most of us can't make money for ourselves. We have to work for somebody else. So I, I don't completely agree with, you know, education is bad. I don't agree with uh, working for somebody else is bad. I know guys that have made so much money in real estate while working for somebody else. And the next book I'm going to recommend is one of those guys. Uh, but the concept, the concept of, of investing is what I got out of that book, even though it was roundabout. I mean, I absorbed that book in like one day. I read it all in one day. And I was, broke, I was broke at the time. So read it, but don't believe everything you hear. That's all. Um, there's another book called The Latte Factor, Latte Like Coffee. And that one was really good because it taught me, uh, I learned a lot about spending money stupidly. Um, you know, case in point, I've got a friend who has kids and they all drink Starbucks and Hey, I, I'll stop by Starbucks once or twice a month, but mostly I brew my own coffee just cause I do. Um, and I think we added it up with him and he spends about 15,000 a year at Starbucks between him and his family. <laughs> uh, and he still does it. So the latte factor, I don't agree with everything in there. I agree with a lot of it, but you know, it, you're going to get little snippets from books. So not every book is like, Oh my God, that's the Bible, except for the one I'm going to give you in the end. Um, so latte factor was good to get my financial house in order. Rich dad was good to get my brain turning as far as investing versus not investing. Sure. And, and um, I'm reading, I just read Crushing It by uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I really like Gary. He's a good guy to listen to. Not necessarily everything, um, like everybody, but for the most part, he pumps you up. He's a good guy to listen to as far as getting pumped up. Um, he's got me on five different platforms on the internet <laughs> right now, and I'm working five hours a day on that. It's crazy. Um, but I like what he has to say a lot of the times, but not everything. I, I'm still not positive I agree with his education thing. Whether education actually gets you a lot or not, um, but I think it's a good thing to do just as a fallback. Um, reading Principles by Ray Dalio right now. Good book, 
uh, a little dry in places. Mm-hmm. So I've actually got a, a, a reading a little fiction in between just to kind of take a break. Keep it going. Yeah. Uh, but there's a book I've got that I got right when we first started. Um, and this, I don't even know if you can find it. It's called Buy and Hold. I'll give you the name of the author. Uh, it's a guy from Southern California. I got it. At, I think I got, I picked it up. He passed away, but I think I heard him talk about eight, nine years ago at a, at a uh, real estate investment club. And his name is David Schumacher, S C H U M A C H E R PhD. Smart dude. And it's, it's the Bible. You know, if you, <laughs> yeah. it, if you read it, it will explain everything to you in great detail and how to handle tenants and, you know, all kinds of things. And I read it and it's funny. It was on my bookshelf at my office and I just picked it up like three weeks ago and started reading it again. It was like, wow, I forgot how good this was, but that is an excellent first book. If you can find it used or something like that, look it up. Um, I don't, I don't know where else to get it, but that's, that's another good book. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Three of those books I read, uh, really good books. That last one, haven't heard of, but I'm going to look it up online, see if I can find a copy. Okay. Have Very you read, cool. have you read principles? I listened to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was, I, I know what you mean about dry, but it was a good book. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of him tooting his own horn, but yeah. Sure. Uh, so where can people find out more about you? Anywhere you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, the you internet. To, if you go to Instagram, uh, my name on Instagram is Mark McMahon, real estate. Uh, and there's a, a underscore in between each word. So it's Mark underscore McMahon underscore real underscore estate. Uh, there's a link tree link in there and it goes to all my other sites. I'm on TikTok actively. I'm on LinkedIn actively. I'm very active on Instagram. I post de- post a daily video on Instagram and we post videos on all these other sites, different kind of a different approach to each one. Uh, and we're on Facebook also. But uh, and then we also just started YouTube a couple of weeks ago. So we've got three or four videos there. that are pretty interesting. Um, and we're we're having those produced now. So it's kind of fun, loosely produced. At least they're edited. They're not like most of my videos on Instagram, which are live and uncut. Hey, sometimes those are the best. Uh, yeah, I like them. I like them. Cool. So uh, I'll put all the links to all your social media and all that stuff in our description. And cool, uh, people can go to that. They can find you. They can reach out to you if they want. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show. It was a really good episode and a lot of information was dropped. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. 